0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of McGill Sports Manager Club Speaker Series. As always, I'm Kyle Sand, the Executive Director of the club, and we're joined here today by a very special guest, Samantha Rogers. So, Samantha, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Hello, thank you for having me. Right,
0: so I guess we'll just like kind of dive right into it. Uh, for the people that are listening to this call and aren't as familiar about you, can you, just tell us a little bit about your background and what you're currently working on.
1: Sure. So, I'm a Montrealer, uh born and raised, sports fan, um but got into philanthropy. So, after I went to the school across town uh, and and did uh my BCom, I was supposed to be in fashion marketing and had a little bit of uh a breakdown realizing that it just didn't feel as though that fueled me, it didn't fulfill me. And so with the help of a couple of professors, I ended up um, trying to reconfigure what my career should look like. We landed on doing something in the charitable space. So I moved to Toronto. I did a postgrad at Humber College in fundraising management, still had no idea what I was going to do, was really interested in corporate philanthropy and trying to work with companies to figure out how they could build out corporate citizenship policies and things like that. Um, I ended up always still sort of like in parallel, loving sports. I played sports. Um, I uh, volunteered at the Olympics in Vancouver, but I never saw a path for myself. I never realized that there was an intersection there. And so I just sort of kept going at it, uh, working in philanthropy. That took me to Vancouver after the Olympics. I stayed there. And um, when I decided that um, I wanted to come home to Montreal, McGill Athletics came calling and had a really unique opportunity uh, to help them fundraise and do their alumni relations. And I uh, had no idea really um, what that would entail. I said no a couple times. times. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had this idea that I didn't want to raise money um for rich athletes which I was very wrong about my assumptions (laughs) that was a big lesson um because within a couple days I knew that's where I should always be and so it's a really niche area kind of called sport philanthropy but using sport for good um and so yeah I was at McGill and I just realized that there was a huge opportunity in the marketplace so I started my own company Called Relate Social Capital, and that's been going on for seven years now. And so what we do is we work with different sport federations, leagues, teams, athletes, sports leaders, you name it, just to help them basically use sport for good. So whatever that might look like, whether it's an organization that's raising money to pay for kids registration fees, whether it's an athlete who is trying to start a foundation and doesn't really know where to start, whether it's a league trying to dive into a lot of the current hot topics, um, wherever that intersection of using sport for good um, hits is typically where we um, do our work.
0: Yeah, so I think that's background super interesting, uh, particularly that you worked at Miguel with like, Graduates from Concordia.
1: <laughs> yes, I was- which I have to make, I really have to say this, I got into McGill also, because working at McGill, all the alumni used to give me a hard time <laughs> for uh, not going to McGill. But I I chose to go to John Wilson. And I know that's not a popular thing to say on this podcast, <laughs> but there are a lot of uh, a lot of Concordia grads that work at McGill. Um, but I, I love McGill and I'm happy that I landed there.
0: Was it awkward at all, like coming in on your first day and people would ask where you went to school and you would say Concordia?
1: No, nobody really. I think that was a big lesson is nobody really cares where you went to school. And one of my profs at John Molson was so great in saying that, like, you know, he said, nobody's going to ask you what your GPA was Focus on getting as much experience as possible. And I'm so glad that I did, because I just at the time I was working for Tommy Hilfiger and um, actually it's very F1 focused since F1 just mm-hmm. happened, but Lauren Stroll was our boss okay. and we, there was like a whole path built out for me and I, and thanks to my prof, he had me, uh, make sure that I was working throughout the week and I, and I had carried quite a heavy load, but a little bit at the expense of my grades, But at the same time, I'm really glad that I I did that because at the end of the day, no one's really ever asked me where I went to school and no one's ever asked me what my GPA, I don't even know what my GPA was. Um, What was a little bit awkward at McGill was everybody being worried about the sports aspect. Like, well, what do you know about football? What do you know about hockey? What do you know about lacrosse? What do you know about baseball? It was very um, intimidating almost right away, like the expectation that you have this really robust um, sports background,
0: okay.
1: and I said, "Well, I don't, I don't perform perform um, open heart surgery, but I've raised money for it. So, like, I I don't really need to know the ins and outs of drills and what's going on in practice, and 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 know all the details about every team and every sport." But I'm good at what I do and that I know I can do and and build the relationships and sort of everything else will come from it. So that that was kind of the the piece I got the most heat about was my sports knowledge.
0: Yeah, that, that's certainly an interesting point. Um, because you have a lot of experience, again, like you talked about with McGill or you start your own company, but you start out really as a sports fan how are you able to merge like your business experience and like your educational background with your love of sports and to be able to like use that in what you're working on today
1: um it was really completely by accident um but then you kind of realize nothing is ever by accident when I think back to um you're probably too young for this to remember this but theres there was the HBO 24 7 series All right. yeah um, and first I think the first season they followed um the capitals the penguins maybe yeah I and I remember that. it was the first time I ever saw um community relations is what it's called now but at the time it was kind of like the caps give back and like what the caps do in the community I thought oh that's awesome like that is so cool that marries my passion love of sports with the philanthropic side but I never saw it for myself I never saw yeah. a role like that um that I could potentially play in even being at the Olympics, I never saw a role for myself. Um, I just saw that as a volunteer opportunity, and just thought it was a really cool experience. And even then, you know, ending up at McGill Athletics, I I saw okay, this is really interesting in the sense that um, I I realized I was sort of on this island all by myself, where everyone in the athletics department understood the sports side of my job, and everyone in the what they call the advancement office that raises money understood that side of my job Uh but there wasn't anyone who understood both uh until I started meeting colleagues within the NCAA um and and doing a lot of uh of retreats and stuff like that with within the U.S. and the NCAA system just to better understand sort of what that entailed though quite different obviously than what we were doing up in Canada but it just slowly started to realize like okay like there's an opportunity here. This is really, really niche what I'm doing. There's hardly anyone that has my job in Canada, let alone like, you know in, in in North America and in Europe. And so I thought like this is just really unique. I'm learning so much because I'm learning especially, as you would know, and most people know, like learning from coaches, you know, baptism by fire, trying to figure everything out, and just realizing what a robust skill set I was building and could utilize. And then essentially kind of became an accidental entrepreneur because um, an opportunity arose with Rowing Canada. um, And we took it and we sort of pitched like, what if we did it as kind of a consultancy? And they said yes, which was quite shocking. And it just sort of snowballed from there.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You're the first like entrepreneur that we've had on. Typically, we focus more on like the, the team side of people that we've talked to. And you're the first person that's like, and I had a different angle of looking at it, which is so cool. Um, obviously, I know you just talked about like Rowan Canada, but were there any campaigns like you worked on with Related Social Capital you felt was like the most rewarding to you or most enjoyable to work on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of them have been really special. I mean, we just did something um, with the NHL and the GTHL, which was around access and inclusion in hockey. Obviously, it's a really mm-hmm. hot topic conversation, especially in Canada right now and um it was so rewarding just because I think sometimes people think some issues are really tough to tackle okay. and we just started by having conversations with people and just the mere fact of bringing different people around a table to have sort of like open heartfelt conversations about issues that need to change and trying to action off those items and how they can be changed was really eye-opening and so you know being able to leave those sort of situations like feeling so um full of like positivity and 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 the media can really portray how bad sports is right now but like when you're deep in it you really see how much good there is and so i think i'm very lucky to be able to have that lens it's the same thing we're doing work with Canada soccer right now and so it's very um, similar in that way as well and also personally it was just really cool because I think when I was terrified of leaving a cozy job at McGill to start my own thing had you told me within six years I'd be working with the NHL I never would have believed that and so that was a really um, that was a really cool sort of full circle moment too.
0: For these leagues or sports, where like they're trying to better their PR, just kind of like, kind of make this sport like a bit more uh equitable. What mm-hmm. are the steps that, like you typically recommend to these leagues or companies to be able to like reach that goal?
1: I think a lot of the times it's really just being honest with where you're at, and I think again like the media really likes to harp on on a lot of negativity, but I think internally like yes, we know things need to change. Speaking as a woman who works in sports. I- in, in terms of like equity, even working at McGill was really hard. There were not a lot of women. Um, no. Like I said, you kind of get, there, there's this assumption you don't necessarily know things about sports. It was the same thing working in sports betting. Like you don't, there's always this sort of like assumption and extra and extra hurdles you have to um, go after. But I think oftentimes most people are genuinely trying to do good and genuinely trying to grow and build things for the better and so, what we've seen with teams, and I think every, you know, we did an initiative called Lessons from Willie, and it was it was utilizing uh, Willie O'Ree's story as being oh, the first okay. hockey player in the NHL. And so, it was during COVID, but all 32 clubs were basically like mandated to utilize the the um, the the content that we created and to have the conversations in their own way. And so, I think what's really interesting is. You know, the second it seems disingenuous or that you're forcing something upon someone, it sort of loses its impact. Whereas what was really neat were the teams kind of took the content that we created. And it's a great documentary too, to watch, but they took it and they put their own spin on it. So like the Florida Panthers, for example, they had everybody watching it on their Jumbotron. Um, they had all their staff there and then shared it with the 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 uh, Big Brothers and Big Sisters community organizations that they support, whereas um, the Coyotes had a like totally different perspective on and how what they wanted to do within um, the Latino hockey community. So okay. I think you have to be really genuine to what you're trying to do and being able to look at your community and say, like, OK, who have we potentially missed? Because. That's the other thing, too, is you can make the economic case for why it's important to invest in, um, you know, purposeful work, because you are probably sidelining a lot of fans and a lot of money and a lot of opportunities and a lot of incredible insights. And so it's being able to kind of take a step back and look at who are you potentially sidelining and missing? How can you sort of um, bring them back to the table and then keep them in mind and have them involved in creating something that's bigger than the club
0: yeah I, I find that super cool like I don't know if it's just me as I don't know when I was younger maybe I wasn't as like engaged or I wasn't as like knowledgeable on social media whatever it may be but I feel like over the last year like you've kind of seen that push and like I've grown up huge Islanders fan I obviously follow the Montreal Canadiens and now the national Paris organizations and like you really see the good that these teams are doing and I feel like uh, that maybe speaks a little bit of credit to, to what you're working on. So it's nice to see.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, the hard thing about sports and we saw it even at McGill is that unfortunately there's, whether you like it or not, you have a celebrity that comes with it. Right. So yeah. al- there's always going to be additional media attention. Um, you know, in some cases we've worked with teams where we've helped build out their foundation and in doing stakeholder engagement um uh, meetings with them people have said like they almost have the same expectations on those teams that they do on the government which are like tremendously huge shoes to fill and really I mean that's quite a large expectation to have on a sports team um and so I but you have to be cognizant of the fact that that's typically where some people sit and so You can't be everything to everyone. You can't take a stance on, you know, every single thing. You can't have an answer on every single thing. At the end of the day, clubs are there to also win. Um, But I think it's being cognizant of the celebrity of sport. And same thing too, right? At McGill, the second an athlete gets in trouble, that's in the news. Whereas, you know... In my career there, there were things that happened and, 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 you know, the Dean of students would say like, Hey, we have McGill students who are arrested every weekend. You never hear about them because it's not quote unquote as sexy as a star quarterback or, you know, one of the top hockey players being in trouble. And so I think it's also keeping in mind that no matter what, whether you want it or not, there is going to be that expectation on you. And so how can you use that for as much good as possible?
0: Yeah, when I was doing like background on you before this interview, I, I saw that you're the founder of Sport Philanthropy Collective.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: is it possible for you to talk a little bit about that? Because I uh, it just seemed kind of interesting and I wanted to hear a bit more.
1: Sure. So that is still a work in progress. It kind of got a little bit sidelined during COVID, but I um, went to George Washington University to do a sport philanthropy um, executive certificate and so met other professionals that were sort of in the space. Through that, we have, um, you know, one of my classmates is at the Premier League. We have some classmates that were in Tokyo, um, others that are in Australia. And so we started looking at, like, how could we create a bit of a network and learn from different countries as a project. And my capstone um, project that I was working on, I'm trying to have sport recognized as charitable, which I don't necessarily have to get into because it's just CRA and government related um, stuff. But basically all it says is that right now in most countries, sport isn't recognized as charitable. Okay. And so I want to change the dialogue around that because there is so much good that comes out of sport. And so how can we have it recognized as charitable? Because a lot of the work that we do um, you know, to put it really simply, it's like you can donate to a church down the street, you can donate to a museum down the street, but you can't donate to the local basketball program down the street. And so how do we change that so more Canadians can, in fact, be able to support local um, sport organizations? And then how do we also just change the dialogue around how sport is perceived and so right now Australia is leading in that space. And so yeah. the idea behind the collective was hey, what you guys are doing down in Australia. Actually, you know, we have very similar systems up in Canada and the UK. And then can we learn from each other um, and try to advance collectively? And then also be able to bounce ideas off each other, much like I said, being involved with the NCAA was really helpful to meet other people when I was at McGill University, meet other people who were in similar roles as, as my own, because it's still a very new space, and so as professionals in that space are developing, um, so should the networks and and um, professional development opportunities
0: too. Yeah, I don't think that's something that like one people particularly talk about or anything that I really knew. Like I've been involved in sports my whole life, and that wasn't something that I had thought about or or like I don't know, like read about. So it's it's cool to hear you talk about these topics that. I don't, you don't really as, as a
1: charitable purpose you mean
0: yeah like I don't really hear that perspective all that often and it's just kind of like cool a bit to to hear that since I, like I didn't really think of that previously
1: yeah when I say it's niche I really mean it's niche when I tell people I work in sport philanthropy it, it, there typically needs to be additional explanation um in that but I think it is changing a little bit. um, and so, which I'm happy for because I think the more people talk about it, like I said, regardless, there's always that expectation of sport to do good. And so, um, I think as that sort of develops and de- develops out, you'll see more and more of it, hopefully,
0: yeah. I wanted to then kind of like transition to the like last part of questions that I had. Obviously, you've had a ton of experience in sports, Sports Financial through which we're talking about now. Um, what advice would you have for students that want to get involved in sports business or the industry you're in today?
1: Great question. You're probably not going to like my answer, but I had a lot of student athletes that would come to me with the same questions. Um, I would say find work outside of sports okay. and then get back into sports because there are sports is such a popular space and there are so many smart kids like yourself and students who are, you know, building out these sports management programs and getting a ton of experience. And I really think what has been a a catalyst in my career and from what I've seen in other people has been outside experience and being able to come into it with knowledge from other industries Um, knowledge from, you know, what other different groups um, are doing just in terms of uniqueness and ability to be a bit more innovative. Because I, I find sometimes when you are put on a path, which I was put on the path of fashion marketing, sometimes you can get stuck in that. And so what I'm really grateful for now is that I have, you know, I worked in health research. Did I want to? No, I kind of fell into it when I was living in Vancouver, but that has really helped me significantly significantly in a lot of the mental health stuff that we've been doing in sports. And so um, even my merchandising background at McGill has been super helpful in terms of like branding and things I was doing with Bet99 in the sports book space. So it's really interesting to be able to pull from your knowledge base. Okay. Um, so that would be one of my biggest tips is at least try to get one job or have some type, even if it's a volunteer, but it's just something that's outside of sports where you could really learn and test yourself. Um, and then I would say too, just being gritty. Like it seems kind of like a really basic answer, but, um, you know, I fell into entrepreneurship. I was scared every day. I'd say I'm like still scared every day, but I would never go back. Um, and I think, you know, again, like I've said, ton of times this is a really niche space I built it out for myself and I think right now there's so many opportunities for students to look at like where are their gaps in different industries and how could I fill them and you know really believing in yourself and it is scary because you know all of those things are true when you have imposter syndrome when you're you know worried about not being enough not knowing what you're doing nobody really knows what they're doing which is you know really interesting i think like you have all these ideas of these teams or these leagues or the olympics or whatever that seem like they would be the most amazing jobs and then you kind of get in there and you see that they're just we're all just sort of the same people
0: yeah
1: a lot of people don't really know what they're doing and um and it's also being mindful of you know don't overexert yourself either just because it's a team you want to work for or a you know a league you want to work for because um, that happens a lot too. I think it's really important to be true to yourself and have your own spin on things and and it can be really scary, but it's also really rewarding.
0: Yeah, that's certainly some great advice. So for anyone like listening to this call, uh, get get yourself involved. Get yourself involved <laughs> in other avenues. Like I know myself a little bit of like political experience as well as sports and like I felt like I learned a lot from that and even though politics has nothing to do with sports it was like kind of easily translated.
1: It It all intertwines trust me all intertwines like everything intersects with sports which is why I think it's really cool like you can literally just do anything and it will have some type of dotted line back to sports and that will be your you know, your, your USP, like your, that, that will be your entire value that you bring to the table.
0: And well, again, great advice for people listening to this call. Uh, I guess the last question that I have once end it ended on like a little bit of more like lighthearted note sure. uh, on your LinkedIn, like you mentioned that home is where the bagels are. Oh, I yes. will say as a New Yorker, I do take issue because I think New York does have the best bagels in the world. Um, But, but did you make dunks on them? They did not. And those shoes were really cool. And I did try to buy them. <laughs> but that, oh, yeah, being, in my case, yes. that being said, what is your favorite bagel place in Montreal?
1: St. theater of course.
0: Okay, just saying that's correct in the St. Vieter <laughs> versus Fairmont debate.
1: Always St. Um, But yeah, and I have tried New York bagels. They're not bad, but it's also what you know. I mean, I never knew that Montreal bagels were Montreal bagels. It was only when I left to go to school in Toronto that um I always thought Tim Hortons had we- weird bagels and it was only when I left come back I realized that that's just what bagels are that we're actually really spoiled in Montreal with our bagels.
0: My overall opinion on the Montreal bagels is that St-Viateur is fantastic and like competes very well with New York bagels but that like it's just St-Viateur and all the rest isn't that good. Oh. And, like, like New York's, like, the the quality, I would say, is, like, close to St. Vitori, but, like, everything's decent, whereas Montreal, it's, like, one is above everything else.
1: It's a loaded statement.
0: I know. It's controversial.
1: <laughs> it is very controversial. But, I mean, you like what you like. I mean, <laughs> people like the Tim Hortons bagels because that's, I don't know, what the rest of people eat in Canada. So <laughs> we're spoiled, that's for sure.
0: Well, I think it's a a great way to, to end the interview here. So, Samantha, thank you so much again for taking time to speak with us and really appreciate you giving your insight as always.
1: Thanks for having me.